I wanted to start before I got into my 22 pages of notes. Um, I did want to start with a confession. I wanted to mention to you that this is actually my first time behind a pulpit sharing a sermon. And so I'm like really excited about this. So I want to thank you for uh, encouraging and for the prayers of the prayer team. I want to shout out to the prayer team and I am so grateful to be here. As mentioned, I am David McKinney and I'm one of the ministers on staff here at Reality San Francisco. And I'm glad to be here with you today, virtually. But I'm also sad because we can't be together in person. And I can't see your faces and I can't see your smiles. But what's nice is that God has given me and us this beautiful capacity to remember things. And even in this moment, I'm thinking about you. And you're out there and you're in here. And I'm remembering who you are and some of our times together. So here in the middle of COVID and we're in the shutdown, it's even harder to be with each other. And perhaps some of you who are Sherlock fans, we're going to go to our mind palace just for a moment and remember some of the positive moments that we've had together and hope for better times to come. Scripture says in Lamentations, in Lamentations 3, it says, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. It's of the Lord's mercies that were not consumed, because his compassions, they do not fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, the soul that seeks him. It's good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So with this in mind, and since we're in the Advent season of waiting, let's take a moment of quiet reflection and hopeful anticipation and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we take this moment before we dive into your word and we present ourselves to you in our longings, our desire to be together, to share in each other's sorrows, and yet as we've just lit a candle of joy, we have permission to share in the joy of the season as well. We can recognize that and notice that your face in our darkness is what brings us joy. You are our way maker. You're our miracle worker. You're our promise keeper. You're the light in the darkness. That is who you are. That is who you are. That is who you are. So thank you for being here with us today, our Emmanuel. Amen. So today, speaking of our Emmanuel, that's what I'll be talking about today. That's who I'm going to be talking about today and sharing about Jesus, our Emmanuel. I'm, I'm going to be using this word a lot in this sermon, so I want to clarify something. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus is our Emmanuel. That's why, we cel that's why we celebrate Christmas. But even before the Christmas event, God was always with his people. God desires to always be with us. God is Emmanuel. So one of the things I did want to clear up First, was the point for a point of clarification was the spelling of Emmanuel. There's a lot of confusion about that. With an I or with an E? I or E? Which one is it? Emmanuel with an I is a translation of the original Hebrew word composed of Emmanuel, with us, 
and El, God. While Emmanuel with an E is a transliteration of the Greek Emmanuel. The difference between a transliteration and the translation is the one translates the pronunciation of one language to the other, while the other translates the meaning. So if this comes up during the Reality San Francisco Trivia Night, <laughs> you, know now the, you now know the answer and you will win. Um, this, this answer will cause you to be a winner. So as we look at the meaning of the word, we can also take a look at where in the Bible we first see Emmanuel noted. The word Emmanuel first appears in the, New in the Old Testament in Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This, of course, is a prophetic word about the coming Messiah written over 700 years before his coming. This period in history is referred to as a time of visitation as the Lord visited his people in dwelling places like tents and tabernacles and temples. In the New Testament, we find the name Emmanuel in Matthew 1, verse 23. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Which means, everyone, he's here. He's here. It's good news. Christ's birth ushers in a time of habitation. Jesus fulfilled the prophecy in Isaiah as he came to indwell and fill his people with his presence. Since he's here with us, where is he with us? In this Christmas story of God and how are we making this personal? So I want to talk about what this means. I want to talk about it in three ways. How is God with us in our past? How is God with us in our present and our future? And so we'll be spending the rest of our time here breaking this down a little bit and how we can experience him right now in three ways. Emmanuel in the past, the difference between restoration and brokenness. Emmanuel in the present, the difference between healing and coping. And Emmanuel in the future, the difference between hope and despair. Because we're in Advent, the framework is one of being in the tension between the waiting and the longing. And it's coming, if it's okay with you, We'll honor that. However, we've got a little bit of a spoiler alert. He's here, and he's with us. Before I move into sharing on the first point, Emmanuel, in our past, I'd like to touch on my own past, my personal story, and how it relates to what I'm about to share with you today, as well as my role as a minister here at Reality San Francisco, besides being available for weddings, baptisms, and hopefully no funerals anytime soon. As you can see, I'm a bit older than the average reality attendee. I'm a blessed 64-year-old dad of five adult children and eight grandchildren with one more on the way, and I'm happy to say that all my children know the Lord, and that brings me incredible joy. My oldest daughter, Stephanie, had our first grandchild six years ago, and she gave me the name Grandpa Dad. And that, of course, stuck. I'm Grandpa Dad. And you can't call me that. Those are for my grandkids. You could, but you may have met some of my children. And one of them, Jess, was here on the worship team with Tyler and the crew until she and her husband, John, moved to Reading with two of our grandkids. I met the Lord in 1974, just at the end of the Jesus People movement. And, became, and, and because of, the, of time, 
I won't go into some of the stories I could tell about the cult that I belong to and <laughs> some of the other things that happened to me along the way. It's a great story. I'm sure we'll share it together at some point. I live in the North Beach area with, here in San Francisco with my wife, Malia, and I've been in reality since around 2011. We both grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and we actually went to the same high school. When we met our, Malia and I met at our 20th year high school reunion, and we get the question, did you know each other? No, we didn't. It was a big high school, and we met at our 20th year high school reunion. I was recruited for a job for, in Southern California, eventually relocated to Palmdale, where we bought a home. And we became part of the Highlands Church with Pastor Ken Hart and held prayer meetings in our homes for almost five years on Tuesday nights. In 2008, I lost my job. And after almost losing our home in the tsunami foreclosure at the time, Malia, and I, Malia was actually offered a job here in San Francisco. We knew that we needed a new church family. So we looked online and we found the website, Reality San Francisco. And by the way, isn't the new website just fantastic? Just, lo <laughs> just love the new website. It's just... I, I just love it. So Malia came to visit right here in the Swedish American Hall. So speaking of memories and the past, there's sweet memories of worship right here. Beautiful prayer times and getting me to meet some of you for the very first time right here. So as we began to settle in with our new church family, I began to serve on the prayer team under Connie and Eventually was asked to oversee the team with Kristen and Catherine and Becky Tucson. And it was during this time of serving, I began to notice something really deep, a pastoral longing to see people set free. And so some of you may remember an inner healing ministry called Linden Tree. I was asked to be a part of that, that team. And from there, I began to study different healing modalities like heart sync and sozo and deliverance. I became part of the fledgling soul care team led by our former director of spiritual formation, Julie Barrios. One day, in a conversation with Julie, she said that she had some DVDs that she'd like to share with me by a Christian psychiatrist named Dr. Carl Lehman. The title of the DVD set was Psychological Trauma, Implicit Memory, and the Verbal Logical Explainer. Now, You'd think that based on the title of these DVDs, it, it wouldn't be like binge-watching Stranger Things or the Great British Bake Off. But this was fascinating. It was fascinating to Malia and I. And, when, and like I say often with my um, this staff and friends, I nerd out on this stuff. So Dr. Carl is known for a Christ-centered emotional healing ministry called the Emmanuel Approach. As we watched Dr. Carl presenting the junction where brain science and Christianity Converge and how complimentary it is, it sparked something. I wanted to know more, so I, doc I called Dr. Carl, and I asked him if we could get training. And he put us in contact with someone that he had been working with for almost 20 years, Pastor Patty Vallada. She wrote the book, Emmanuel Practicum. And she came out and trained about 40 of us almost six years ago, right at the Reality San Francisco offices, and we started practicing and learning this type of prayer. I was offered a position, on the, as a director of prayer ministry here at Reality San Francisco three years ago, and I do oversee the prayer team, who I've always given a shout out to, so appreciate you, and our small group of Emmanuel prayer coaches who meet with congregants. And by the way, in case you're wondering, I know you're wondering this, the verbal logical explainer, what is that? It's the part of the brain that will take our past or our present circumstances and events, and it creates a narrative about it, or assigns meaning 
that we can live with, even if the meaning or if that narrative is completely wrong. So this is why we need Jesus, our Emmanuel, to enter into the narrative with us and so that he can show us what he wants us to know simply by being with him. We see all throughout the Bible the, the Godhead wanting to do this very thing, be with his people and frame their narratives with him at the center, God with us, Emmanuel. So with this in mind, we're going to look at Emmanuel in our past. It's the difference between brokenness, sin, and restoration. So what exactly do you think of when you think of your past, your personal story? So you can just take a moment and think about it. For many people, even Jesus followers, the thoughts of your past, well, are ones that you'd rather not think about. As a matter of fact, those very memories of your past could be ones that are unthinkable. I'd prefer not to be reminded of that. Thank you very much. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. That's why I'm in therapy. I know, I've had that kind of past. Broken, stolen, shameful, something's missing, wish it were different, addicted, victim of abuse, the abuser, divorce. Of course, there's some of you that have may have had a great childhood, raised by the almost perfect parents and got good grades and had a ton of friends. And perhaps you look at your past and you simply don't see a lot there, but maybe a little self-justification, maybe a little bit of self-dependence, arrogance possibly, perfectionism, judgment, pride. The point is, is that all of our pasts have shaped us into who we are today. And if we're honest with ourselves, we've come up short. And we can see how broken we are and how much we've missed the mark. No matter what you've been through or how your life up to this point has unfolded, your past, this is the great news, your past, your story is included in the Christmas story. And it's of great value to Emmanuel. His story includes your story. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 1, we're told that God chose us to be in a relationship with him even before he laid out plans for this world. He wanted us to live holy lives, characterized by love, free from sin, and blameless before him. He destined us to be adopted as his children through the covenant Jesus the anointed inaugurated in his sacrificial life. This was his pleasure and his will for us. Meaning, you were included in his story before he even began your story. As Lomas mentioned last week, the father in this powerful and beautiful love he has for his son and the son for his father and the Holy Spirit the Father demonstrated this great love by sending his Son, God with us, to make right these great wrongs. He stepped down into darkness to light up this great destiny and the purpose that he planned. But because evil is still in the world, he may still feel robbed, ashamed, angry, resentful, hurt, or maybe even a lot of pain. But we don't have as a starting place our brokenness, though. The starting place is his plan. Before you were born, he had a plan, and nothing's changed. He is with you in your past. 
since your past isn't included in his greater story, and even in the memories of your past. He makes things right, showing you his heart and attuning with you there with his perspective and his love. What you may not have received as a child and didn't get, he restores and heals. And even where things happen that shouldn't have happened, he knows and comforts. The fact of your past actually doesn't change. You do. As you encounter him there and experience his intimacy with Jesus, Emmanuel, there. Perhaps he'd stand in your most shameful moment and say, I forgive you. Your most broken place and offer you a new and restored life. Perhaps this Christmas season you can experience peace instead of a tyrannical narrative that something's wrong with you or you have to be perfect all the time in order to be loved. But that's what you've learned and that's all you've known. Or hundreds of other narratives that are other than Emmanuel's. So as you think of your past, and if you're willing to let go just a little bit to what may have become the only story that you've ever known, and listen, there's another story. It's so beautiful. And even Emmanuel, God is with you there, even there. So if in these moments of your past, you could experience Jesus, or Emmanuel there with you, you might hear his words saying something like, this wasn't my plan for you. This is not how it should have been, but I love you. They didn't know what they were doing. They had their own pain, but I'm here now. It's okay. I'll take care of you. Hear him say, I forgive you. Or you're my beloved daughter or son. They did not see you, but I see you. I'm with you here. Even in your past, I'm so sorry that you had to endure that and felt so alone and abandoned. You're not an orphan. You are so beautiful to me. You could hear him say, I'm the safe one here. I am with you. I know about how uncovered and vulnerable you felt. And I know how mad you are <laughs> at me. You can tell me anything. I can take it. Let it out. I hear you. These are the words of comfort that Emmanuel brings and restoration. He binds up your broken heart with a past regret and shame. It removes your feeling or sense of separateness or sin. This is Emmanuel's restoration. His presence right there in the past makes it right as it should be. Shalom. From this past, we can move into the future. Actually, we're going to move into the present before we move into the future. So in the, here in the present, Emmanuel in the present, the difference is between healing and coping. You could be thinking, well, um, thanks a lot for bringing all that past stuff up and all the feelings that it brings up for me. I, now I feel some of it again. And all that past stuff you just talked about is, seems pretty real to me right now. As a matter of fact, the past stuff bleeds into your present all the time, even though you're a new creation in Christ. So you might say, I shouldn't feel any of this. I don't even know what to do with it. So I'm going to soothe myself with some more, and you can fill in the blank, food, 
drugs, food. I like a lot of food. Alcohol, sex, work, Amazon Prime, two-day delivery, or even faster. Um, religious activities, whatever. It, someone once said about addiction that it was a, it's not a drug or alcohol problem, it's a pain problem. We all cope with some sort of pain or trauma in our lives. And right now, in the present, that could be going on for some of you. As a matter of fact, the term triggering is used for an event that causes us to feel things that are from the past that feel true in the present. These are psychological wounds. Coping strategies refer to the specific efforts, both behavioral and psychological, that people employ to master, tolerate, reduce, or minimize a stressful event. So don't you think that we're in the middle of some pretty stressful events right now that can be deeply triggering or painful, causing us to experience some deep emotions, which might include loneliness, isolation, or even abandonment? Friends are leaving the city, and it's becoming even more transient. We're afraid of getting the virus and getting too close to people. Here in the present, even in this moment, there's a lot, there's so much to cope with. And there's good ways to cope and there's not so good ways to cope. And before we look at the aspect of healing, there's a couple of foundational truths I want, I'd like you to remember. First, in Hebrews 13.8, it says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the past, and the present, and the future. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey whatever I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even until the end of the age. So just as we look at the present moment and how our past may bleed into it, we need to remember that Jesus has never left us. So here's where we're going. If he's never left us, the question is, where is he? Now, this is an important question because if you don't believe that he's with you, then it's hard to benefit from his healing presence. Meaning, if healing comes from God's presence and peace with God, but we don't sense or feel God's presence, then how the heck do we get healed? It's a double bind. So to answer this question, we're going to tell, I'm going to tell you a story about a woman that you've may have heard about. In the Gospel of Luke, chapters 8, verses 43 through 48, there's a woman that had a condition. It caused her to bleed for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She had a past. She had at least 12 years of a bleeding past. Jesus was out teaching, and there was crowds of people all crushing in on him. This woman, by the way, didn't, even, didn't only have a bleeding problem. The Jewish law said that she was unclean. She had a cer ceremonial problem of being shamed because of something that was beyond her control. And who, was no, who knows what was going on in her mind and how many people knew her condition? Who knows how many jeering faces she had to turn her eyes away from as she pressed through the crowd with the thought, I must touch this man. I believe he can heal me if I can just get close enough. 
She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. Peter and the disciples didn't see it, and they were a bit perplexed because it was a very noisy, crowded place. Someone's touched me because I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, she came trembling and fell at his feet. And in the presence of all the people, she told why she touched him and that she'd been instantly healed. Then he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you, go in peace. Now there's many instances where Jesus goes and finds the people to heal them. And I think it's important to share this story at the end of the year where many of us feel that me feel like this woman and with so much pressing in from the outside. So there's things pressing in from the outside and things pressing in from the inside. So from the outside, you might be able to relate to this. There's crowds of jeering social media, yelling voices of hatred, fear-mongering, unfair regulations, distrust and judgment and more. And on the inside, there's distractions and pain and bleeding and failure and shame, unbelief and much more. It's a lot to press through to get to Jesus. See, this is the difference between healing and coping. Until you take that wounded place that may be bleeding. Or that sadness and you just don't know why you're sad. Or that anger and, heck, everybody knows you just got a short fuse. And you press through the outside and the inside crowd and see Jesus with you in the vicinity by faith and experience virtue you'll continue to put a Band-Aid of coping on the bleeding that's meant to be healed. There's so many takeaways in looking at this precious woman's story, right? Jesus heals her physically, but I think it's safe to say that he healed her emotional trauma as well. She wasn't unclean anymore, right? Shame gone. This is why Jesus is called Wonderful Counselor in Isaiah 9, verse 6, and the Prince of Peace. In our prayer community that we call Emmanuel, we say that Jesus, Jesus is our primary therapist. And the difference is that Jesus stops the bleeding and heals us. Healing versus coping. And there's literally hundreds of stories of people who come to Emmanuel, wounded and bleeding emotionally, and they are healed. And some of the fruit of healing is pretty cool. This is really great. I, I like this part. <laughs> if I do say so myself. Oh. The places that used to get triggered, they just don't get triggered anymore. Instead, there's self-control, love, and happy days, joy. You cope until you're healed. You cope until you're healed. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. I'm sure there's some of you that would say that this would be the greatest gift ever given to not get mad when you're misunderstood or to self-justify when you feel accused. It's great healing, not just coping. The goal of being with Emmanuel is intimacy with him. The result of being with Jesus, our Emmanuel, is healing and emotional maturity. In literally thousands of hours of prayer time with people, I can testify that Hebrews 13.8 is totally true. Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He is the same Jesus with every different person and every past memory and every present circumstance. He is consistently kind. 
He's consistently loving. He's consistently generous, accommodating our humanity. He's non-condemning. He doesn't do shame. He's glad to be with us, and he knows us better than we know ourselves. He is healing. Well, now to point, our point number three, and we're moving ahead into the future. <laughs> All right, the difference between despair and hope. Now, I submit to you today that perhaps some of the greatest difficulties we have in looking at our future is how responding to or how we've responded to our past and our present circumstances. In short, our pride, wanting to control the future and wanting to interfere with whatever God might have planned for our future and insert our own plan into our future. For example, when we pray with people in our Emmanuel prayer times, we have an opening prayer that we pray every single time. Lord, I humbly acknowledge that sin wounds and lies distort my understanding and hinder my ability to follow you. I'm asking for special grace during this time to carry all my unresolved issues so they don't get in the way. This is the type of humility that allows for grace to be present. God does resist the proud, and grace isn't readily available if you're not willing to admit your weakness or if you're not willing to surrender your past or present. A.W. Tozer writes, The reason why many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders, interfering with God's work within us. What is Tozer saying here? In our modern vernacular, it could be something like, um, there's something missing inside, and I feel stuck and miserable. (laughs) I don't know what's going on, but nobody's going to tell me what to do. I know better myself than anyone, even God, and I'm going to remain in charge. So I'm sure there's other ways that we could translate that, but you kind of get get the picture. It may resonate. Just a few days ago, there was an email I received with a prophetic word that I'd like to share here. It felt like it kind of fit into this spot. It said, Beloved, the narrative in your heart drives the experiences of your life. Come to the realization that the dominant narrative in your life becomes the predictor of what happens in your future. So what this means is that the stories we tell ourselves maybe really and believe about our past, frame up and they'll put a lens on how we actually approach our future and potentially can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. How do our minds live into a narrative and how do these narratives begin? So we'll look at a little bit of a genesis of a narrative. How a narrative begins can affect our future, especially when it begins with a question even a seemingly innocuous question that we all ask all the time, seems to be totally appropriate, and it's this question. It's a very dangerous question. It doesn't feel dangerous when we ask it. Why, God? Why did this happen to me? So whether the question's about your past, your present, circumstances, it can frame your future. See, this question reflects a certain conclusion that you've drawn about your relationship with God. Think of it this way. Do you ever notice how painful it is not to have an answer to the why question? We think information is the path to healing and not repeating the the past. If we just know the answer why, then we can move forward. 
But if we listen closely enough and take some time to be with the Lord, he comes to us in that place, in that questioning place of not knowing the answer to why and gently says, he could be saying these words to you today. How about if you let me hold the why question? Trust me to hold on to that because it's distracting you from what I want to give you. Maybe he may say to you, my gift to you is better than finding and understanding of all the details in your desire to find peace. My peace passes your understanding. Or I can be trusted to be in charge of walking through all this with you. I have found that the quest to understanding everything is not sustainable. And it's lacking. As a, as a writer of Proverbs chapter 3, you know, verses 5 through 6, we've heard this so much. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Notice the phrase, he will make your path straight. I alone know the plans that I have for you. Plans to bring you prosperity and not disaster. Plans to bring about the future that you hope for. So what if the hopeless despair that we experience as an actual emotion, by the way, had a purpose? What if the hopeless despair was made, meant to point to someone that could offer comfort and deep connection there? Jesus is the one that offers the connection and secure attachment that our souls need here. The way we say it around our Emmanuel prayer community is, when I look for him, I find him. When I find him, he is glad to be with me. And he is the solution. So when we experience hopeless darkness, the darkness is all we see. We see it too often and we get pulled into the darkness of our emotions. And even now with COVID, lockdown, loneliness, and we want to be with our families when it seems there's no rational answers to explain our deepest despair and we don't know why. The only thing we do know is that trite answers and platitudes don't scratch the itch. We seek true, satisfying answers. As a psalmist writes in Psalm 69, but as for me, I will pray to you, Lord. Answer me, God, in the time that you choose. Answer me because of your great love, because, of, because you keep your promise to save. Save me from sinking in the mud. Save, keep me safe from my enemies. Safe from the deep water. Don't let the flood come over me. Don't let me drown in the depths or sink in the grave. Answer me, Lord, in the goodness of your constant love, in your great compassion, turn to me. Don't hide yourself from your servant. I'm in great trouble. Answer me now. And in Psalm 43, why are you in despair, O my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, because I will yet praise him once again since his presence saves me, and he is my God. So we're pointed to Jesus. The mystery that has been hidden from ages and from generations has now been revealed to us, to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So as we turn this corner and we're concluding our time together, I want to pause and summarize the story, the story arc. So we, in the best way that we, that we can, the best way that I've known in this first sermon of mine, 
lot to cover, but we want, I wanted to bring some language to our past, our present, and our future, and how it fits into a bigger picture. It's important not to truncate the story. This is important. Don't truncate the story by beginning that with, with, with that we're sinners, bad people, and it doesn't end well. Remember that it's a, it is the goodness and the love of a kind father, including us in a love story, a divine romance. Jesus himself said, I am the beginning and the end. The alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. It begins in creation, where God our creator created all things and said, it's good. He made us and put us in a garden where we were designed and meant for flourishing, to share in his family of loving kindness, a said family. His said is loving kindness, a loving kindness of God, if you will. Our story begins with his goodness and ends with a new city. There was a great fall in between. We thought we knew better than God, and he was withholding something. And if we could understand everything and be our own boss, we'd be like God. The Godhead sees a big problem and knows the solution. I'll send the Son to make things right again and to become the very thing that separates man from me and take it out of the way. This is the good news of Christmas and the resurrection at Easter. The story ends with us included in his victory. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven and from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. So I'll end with a message that came from Ruthie a few days ago. I found the quote online and, I, and who wrote it? Even if we cannot gather in person, Emmanuel, God with us. Even if some Christmas traditions have had to go, Emmanuel, God with us. Even we might not get to hug our family or friends, Emmanuel, God with us. And even if we cannot sing carols beside each other, Emmanuel, God is with us. And even if Christmas cheer is harder this year, Emmanuel, God with us. So let's take a few moments to take what may have come up during our time together and bring it to the Lord. As the band comes back up and as we begin a time of response, we're going to pause for 30 seconds of silence. As we do, would you, would you get a sense of the Lord's presence with you? He's never left you. He's with you. And as you get a sense of his presence with you, would you simply ask him, Lord, what are you asking me to bring you right now from my past, even from my present, and what are my thoughts about the future? And be willing to listen.
just take a moment. We're just going to take 30 seconds to be quiet and listen and not edit what comes to your mind. You may be sensing the tension of unresolved issues or regrets, suffering or loss, or need to experience forgiveness. Whatever is coming up for you right now. So just be quiet and just, just take a moment here. Lord, we bring you our past. We bring you our present. And we bring you our future. We open our hearts to you in these places. Would you help us to tangibly experience the Father's love in the Christmas story here? Thank you for sending Emmanuel to be with us. May we see your face and experience your joy of being with us. We believe you never intended us to do this alone. And we're so sorry for trying to do it that way. We welcome your presence, your love, your great compassion, and your delight in being with us here today in our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name. Amen.